I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge. If you've never heard our show before, that's all right. It's a super simple concept. We just think that pretty much everyone has had an educator, a teacher, a coach in their life who's made a big impact on them, help us become the people who we are today. And every educator we have on this show is nominated by our audience. So whoever that person is, whoever that teacher is that comes to your mind when we say that, tell us about them and shoot us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu and you could be a part of the show. We could have them on. On today's episode, we've got a couple of high school science teachers. We've got the mentor and the mentee. We've got the student and the master. Well, you know, actually, they're both teachers, but you get the idea of what I'm trying to say. Marty Baker and Eric Peterson both teach science at Streamwood High School. And when Eric started, Marty was the one showing him the ropes of the classroom. And now, 10 years and a global pandemic later, Eric feels like he's the veteran teacher who's seen it all. And I sat down with both of them to talk about trying to teach science and do lab work remotely during COVID-19, how technology has actually changed things for the better in their classrooms, and what a strange transition it's been for students trying to come back in person for the first time now. In my conversation with Marty and Eric, we talk a bit about students trying to get acclimated to school rules and how to behave now that you're back in school and not on Zoom. And I've got a story for you that touches on that exact theme as well. It's about how a recent Supreme Court case offered middle school students a chance to reconsider their own school's rules and start asking questions of the powers that be. The story of Mahoney Area School District versus BL goes like this. High school sophomore doesn't make the varsity cheerleading squad, so she vents to her friends on Snapchat after school. Screw school, screw cheer, screw everything. Only, she doesn't just say screw, you get the idea. The 14-year-old Brandy Levy still gets suspended from the JV cheer squad for a year, and the case is about whether what she said is protected speech that the school shouldn't have been able to punish. While the Supreme Court oral arguments began this past spring, many students were returning to the classroom. Matt Wood teaches middle school civics in West Chicago. He says at first, schools wanted to make sure students were comfortable being back in the building. So that often meant relaxing school rules, like letting them wear hats and jackets in class. But soon it became an issue, and administrators asked teachers like Wood to enforce the dress code again. I was like, wait a second. We have this case about what you can and can't do outside of school with the cheerleader. I have students who are questioning, you know, school's authority to tell them what to do. What better place for middle schoolers to be than in this cyclone of what are my rights in this circumstance? Wood asked his seventh grade classes, what do you think would have happened in this case if it was our school? And they're like, well, Mr. Wood, we don't even know what our, we have a dress code. So he had them dive into the handbook for themselves. And they, of course, noticed right away that there were some things they, first of all, weren't aware of. And second of all, there were some things that upset them. Students found that, unsurprisingly, the rules had much more to say about what girls were allowed to wear, including a ban on pants with holes in them, which was surprising. And so then I said, all right, well, are we different? Are we different from any other communities? That grass is greener concept. They examined neighboring schools' handbooks and saw that the grass, at least as it pertains to school rules, was not greener at all. Other schools were more explicit about which styles of clothes were banned, whereas West Chicago left some room for interpretation. At the same time, Wood's classes were still discussing the arguments in the quote-unquote angry cheerleader case. 
He says lessons he learned in a micro-credential program called Guardians of Democracy helped him teach the kids how to have a structured discussion and how to take action. So the question came back to, well, what would have happened if this happened at our school? To answer that question, Wood had to bring in the powers that be. So we had a different administrator for each of my class periods come in, and the students were responsible for giving the admin the rundown of the case, what the classroom's thoughts were on the case, and then they guided questions to the admin to get the administrators to really discuss what they would have done. Six administrators came in, and in judicial fashion, we had a three-to-three split. Three administrators agreed with students that it was wrong what happened to the cheerleader in the Supreme Court case, and the three others said they'd have done the same thing. My favorite was one of the administrators who came in with a strong opinion, left saying, you know, I might have to rethink what I think now. I'm like, yeah! There was even some disagreement among the students, too. Wood says the administrators were surprised to find some students actually agreed with them. Wood was most proud that he was able to lead conversations with students that culminated in the students feeling validated and like they were heard. As an Illinois civics instructional coach, it's something he wants to help other teachers with as well. I think there are a lot of teachers who are both justifiably afraid of conversation today, but are also in a position to do good work in helping America rediscover the value of discussion. If you're still wondering, in June, long after the students had left for the summer, in a narrow decision, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the cheerleader, Brandy Levy. It was a monumental decision for student-free speech. This year, Matt Wood in West Chicago is still using his Guardians of Democracy training to help a new group of students discover the value of discussion. All right, now before we get into my conversation with Marty and Eric, I have a quick news roundup to catch you up on some news that you might have missed throughout the last couple weeks. You know, a few episodes back, I chatted about how the Illinois State Board of Education had released some preliminary data to show us a little bit about behind the scenes, what actually last year was like. We talked about chronic absent rates and things like that. Well, the state board actually just released even more data, this time around district and school level assessment from the last school year. Now, the IAR, which is the Illinois Assessment of Readiness, and the SAT are some of the first standardized testing numbers that we've seen from a year that was about as non-standard as it gets. Now, in a non-pandemic year, testing results don't tell the whole story. You know, they're a snapshot of where a student is at on a given day. And last year, many students learned from home, and not every student even participated in state testing, including a fourth of Rockford students. But for those who did, outcomes do reflect the struggle of pandemic learning. You know, only 15% of Rockford Public School students met proficiency targets in English language arts through the state's IAR test, which is given to third through eighth grade students. Now that's a 3% decline from when the last test was given back in 2019, and that was already far below the state average. And the numbers do vary pretty widely on a school-to-school basis. Dozens of students were proficient at sub-elementary schools, and others had zero students that met proficiency in things like math. And test scores show only 5% of low-income students met IAR proficiency for math, and only 2% of black students in Rockford. And aside from proficiency, another metric districts look at is called growth, which measures a student's year-to-year academic changes, and some education leaders argue growth is a more useful tool to evaluate students. Growth data from last year isn't available yet, though. 
The new State Board of Education data also includes SAT results. And you know, it is important to note that many universities, including Northern Illinois University, have recently adopted test-blind admissions policies. And that's because research shows it's a pretty unreliable barometer of student success and often correlates more with school and family income levels. And some Illinois schools gave last year's assessment this fall, so statewide data for all this for the 2020-21 school year won't be available until spring 2022. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with science teachers Marty Baker and Eric Peterson. Eric joins us a few minutes into the conversation, so we start off chatting with just Marty about one of his other passions that he coached for many years, fishing. You coach uh, bass fishing too, right? Um, I had coached bass fishing for the last 12 years and gave it up this year. This year? So is this your first school year not doing it then? Yes. Yeah, geez. I, well, I was going to ask you about it because I, I, we've had a couple different coaches on here, but I was thinking about bass fishing as a sport. And I was like, there's very few sports that just the act of doing it and like the environment of it is like serene and like just really nice to be in and to like have to balance both just the calm, nice nature of fishing while also there's like the very competitive aspect of it too. It's, it's a really interesting thing to balance. Yeah, because, I mean, when you're in the competition, like, it's not serene. You're focused, right, it's fierce then. You're, you're, you're focused on where the bass are and how to get them in the boat. But as a, as a bass coach, I don't get to fish. So I'm in the boat for the six to eight hours with the kids, trying to encourage them and, and point out different aspects of where the fish are. And, but, you know, there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, look at that bird. Oh, look at this bird. Because I teach environmental science also. And one of my units is like bird identification. So again, I've had a lot of my students from class on the fishing team and there's, they can't believe like I can name pretty much every bird that flies by or, or makes a call near us. And it's just kind of funny. That's fantastic. Yeah, my girlfriend's father is an avian ecologist. So I, I have uh, several conversations recently about identifying birds and how to identify a Cooper's hawk and all sorts of things like that. <laughs> But it's got to be fun, right? Like you have six to eight hours in the boat and every once in a while you might just like look around and you're like, oh my God, it's just like really gorgeous out here. <laughs> yeah. And you, you get in a lake with nice clear water and you're looking at the, the vegetation, you're looking at the fish swimming around. There's also not a lot of sports where you're there for six to eight hours at a time. That's I, I had no idea until you just said that, that that's how long it was. Yeah. The, the tournaments are really long on Saturdays from like sunrise to like the state sectionals in state are like from sunrise till 3 p.m. Oh my God. So like the coaching points when you're like having to identify where things are, like are you pretty actively coaching the entire time or is there some downtime? A lot of a lot of it is just them fishing, but then Eric, Eric just walked in. Are we but, okay. Right now? Yeah. Yeah, we just, we, we jumped on in. We're, we're talking uh, bass fishing. Yeah, so yeah. So the kids are fishing, but if you notice the transition, then you can coach them to switch rods, switch baits, switch techniques. By the time they get actually on the water, they're they're pretty proficient uh, on their own. We work with them in the classroom and in the swimming pool, getting ready for the actual on the water tournaments. In the swimming, so you what are you practicing in the swimming pool? Uh, just casting and and how the lures work and. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah, settle on down, Eric. Yeah, no, Baker is, uh, he's been nationally recognized, district recognized for his bass fishing accomplishments at this school. We've been to state like 10 out of 12 years. Eric, again, thanks. I was 
mentioning to, to Marty that I, even though you guys are used to it, I kind of feel bad making you join in the 50,000 Zoom call you've been in the, in the last year, oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure, but I appreciate you coming by. Now, he was mentioning that he, he teaches some environmental science. Do you do that as well? What, what do you teach? No, I teach, uh, he's more life science and more physical, so I teach chemistry mainly. Yeah, what is it like? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys have gotten this question over the last 18 months, but teaching science uh, during a pandemic has to feel slightly more weighty at times when you're having conversations about these things. Does it still feel like that or is it, are we kind of just back to normal plus masks? I think it's more like normal plus masks now. I mean, it, it really feels more normal. The kids have gotten better with the masks and they don't feel as obstructive. For sure, yeah. It's but Yeah, it's, I, uh, it's a million times better than Zoom because, I mean, for me, I mean, the kids lost. Kids take science to do labs. That's what they do. It's, it's a, hard to get more hands-on than what you're, you're doing. You're missing that component. It becomes more more dry. Last year, trying to get creative, like, how can you adapt this lab to have them do it at home on their own with, with resources that they would have at home versus the resources we have at school? Were you able to send home any kits or anything like that? Or was, was that difficult to come by and you kind of just had to make do with whatever they had? As far as I know, our district didn't do that. And especially right. science, we did not send science materials home. I'm, I'm fascinated with like the trying to get creative and make things work in a difficult environment. Was, was there anything where you tried something where you're like, I have no idea if this is going to work, but it actually turned out pretty well? Well, we have a, a lab for cell transport where you put an egg in vinegar and dissolve the shell off the egg. Then you put the egg in like corn syrup and all the water comes out of the egg. And then you put the egg back in distilled water and the water goes back in the egg. So I had the kids do that on their own, but I also didn't want to take food out of their mouths too. So it was kind of optional whether they did that. And I had one student who was vegan, their whole family religious wise was no meat or meat products in their house. So she was able to do that with grapes because they had grapes in the house. So really got to be flexible in that situation. What about you, Eric? Well, for Kim, I mean, baking soda and vinegar, that's, that's the big one, you know? Yeah, that's the winner. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and they've been doing that stuff their whole life. So, and then you have the whole like safety part, but you know, I, I tried my best. It's, it's difficult, but then again, like our district didn't mandate their cameras on. So you see black screens and white names. And you're kind of like, you can't visually see how well the lab is either progressing or not progressing. So you're saying to them, how's it going? And they could be sitting there asleep. It's going great. Like <laughs> Things are looking great. Yeah, of course. It's going <laughs> great. You're looking at like a pizza emoji or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going fantastic. I'm. Did you feel like a teacher last year or did it feel like something completely different? I called it, welcome to the Mr. Baker Science Radio Show. That's what I called it. I felt like you. <laughs> Now we know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which again is very hard. I'm not like describing how to. Do, I'm not giving instructions on my end, thankfully. Yeah, no. Trying to explain to kids processes and then the whole buy-in. You know, like and I tell them honestly, like the only way I know you're there getting it is if you're turning stuff in because you can chat me in a chat box, but I mean, if I were to put a percent on it, I would say 20% of my entire class was actually behind the camera that that was participating actively. And that's right. ballpark. I could be wrong, but. And so, I mean, like coming into this, it's been, even though you have the mask, whatever, it feels more normal. And also like, it doesn't quite feel probably a hundred percent, but even getting this close has to feel like a thousand percent different than whatever that was. Yeah. Cause we've got full class sizes 
and we've got our full resources. We're doing our full labs with beakers and graduated cylinders measuring. And so we're, we're doing it. And the only difference is kids are wearing masks. Right. And then, uh, Marty, I, I did want to ask you, too. I know that you wanted to nominate Eric to be on the show. And what were some of the reasons that you wanted Eric to, to be on the show? What are some of the things that you kind of wanted to highlight? Why did you want him to be on the show? I, I was Eric's mentor when he started teaching here at U46. Mm-hmm. This year, Eric's taken the step to be a mentor to a new teacher, as well as taking on a student teacher. So he's going from the role of you know the, the new teacher to now the, the experienced teacher to guide the young people in our profession. Eric, do you feel like, do you feel like with your experience over the last couple of years, do you feel like the veteran teacher who's, who's seen it all at this point? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, okay. So when I was hired in this district, I had two years of teaching experience in sixth grade middle school. So you had to go through the mentor program and Baker did help me out a lot with that. But when I started here, I mean, a lot of the teachers that were in our profession were on the verge of retirement. Like they were five years out, like ready to go. I was the rookie coming into these guys like, okay, I need advice on how the school works and advice on this, advice on this. And then as the years progress, they've retired off now. Okay, so I would say when I started 10 years ago, if I was to put an average age on the teacher, I mean, what, like 55 years old, like Pat, you know, all them. So, and now you fast forward to clocks and I mean, we are the veterans. Yeah, we, like, we we're, have, like, we're the old guys now. The, the, the age is like average 25 now. Like they're young. It happens so quickly too. Like we're, there's a lot. Of, I feel like there's a lot of job situations where you walk in and there's like, oh yeah, there's people that have been there for 25 years and that are like close to retirement. And then there's the newbies and it feels like there's like barely anybody in between. And then a couple of years later, you look around and you're like, wait a minute, am I not? I guess I'm not anymore. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, it is. It, it happens pretty quick. <laughs> Bigger, you're longer than me. So yeah, because I've, I've got, I'm the one with the 25 years experience now, and and I've got less than 10 years to retire. Marty, I did want to talk a little bit more about environmental education, actually, because I had just last week written a feature story talking about environmental education, and like interviewed a bunch of different people from different like project-based learning activities and like student-led initiatives around the state. Actually, from one U46, the National Biodiversity Teach-In over at Elgin High School, I, I chatted with them. Do you feel like the way that students talk about that, the kind of the conversation that you have around those issues in classes, has it changed a lot over the last couple of years? It, it doesn't feel like it's changed a whole lot. A lot of the issues are, are still the same. And, and I do more like, I teach regular environmental instead of the environmental. There's a different teacher that does that. But I focus on what is the environment. like. Northeastern Illinois University hosts an Envirothon environmental mm-hmm. science competition. And so I, I basically focus my curriculum around their topics, forestry, water, soil, and wildlife. So I, I focus heavily on those aspects of environmental science. Yeah, I found actually, as I was trying to do some research for both of you guys going into this, I found an article, Marty, that one of your like former students had written on the American Forest website talking about your classroom and like that same type of walking around, instead of just trying to memorize tree names, like walking around campus, identifying things and working in community gardens and things like that. And it seems like that's kind of just the focus, especially over the last 10 years or so with environmental science, when it comes to just like 
actually hands-on project-based learning, and it seems hard not to do it when you're talking about literally <laughs> the environment. But it's fascinating because it feels like in a lot of aspects of education, people are going more in the direction of these like student-led initiatives. Yeah, so it, it is like really easy to do hands-on student-based learning with the environmental class. And, I, and it's funny because I'm pretty sure I knew, know exactly which student wrote that article and mm -hmm. back working in our school right now. Which is, oh, no kidding. That's yeah. funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got, I actually like presented an aquaponics project that the students work on in the classroom at the National Science Teacher Convention, both in Boston and Chicago. Mm -hmm. and that was really fun to have a, a group of about 40 teachers listening intently about how to use aquaponics to teach students and this year i'm really focusing on trying to get that project back up and running after two years of sitting dormant could you explain to people who may not know what aquaponics is a little bit about what you're talking about so aquaponics is a combination of hydroponics and aquaculture where you're growing fish um, and the, the fish live in the water and then you pump water up into an aqua or like hydroponic grow bed so the fish waste is feeding the plants and the plants are cleaning the water and so it's it's a really great cycle for both biology students to see the the, the nitrogen cycle the carbon cycle and relationships um, and then environmental science seeing how how the, the fish water quality impacts the fish health and the the nutrients affect the plant health and initially it was unbelievable but um, we were using tilapia and I needed a special state permit from the DNR to, to house non-native fish and the DNR had to inspect the school to make sure that nothing would escape into our watershed. I mean, that was really eye-opening and fun to present those things that I had found out about the legalities of it to the other teachers at the NSCA. Right, the red tape of, <laughs> of growing tilapia. Yep. Eric, during the nomination process, when we, we pose different topics or things like that we want to talk about, one of them that, Marty, you highlighted in there was like, uh, talk about discipline, talk about lack of rules. I'm curious, have things been, even though we're back to normal, but have things been, has that been more of an issue than usual in this year than it has in previous years? Yeah, well, it's a different type of issue. Okay, so like mass is new. One of the big things that Baker and I talked about was the beginning of every school year, the, the dean's office, and now here it's called the climate. Don't get yourself in trouble. I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> the dean's office is called the climate and culture office now. That just happened this year. So they want to build relationships with students and, and that stuff, and, and we appreciate that. So they have class meetings at the beginning of every school year to kind of set the precedence, what's the expectation. And I remember going into this, this class meeting thinking to myself, look, this is this is a fresh start. Like you've had kids out of school. This is your time to set expectations for kids that haven't even been in this building yet. Like no hats, IDs around, you know, like setting the rules. Like these are the boundaries. This is what you're responsible for. And every class meeting that we've been to prior to COVID was about that. Now we fast forward the clock and we're having these meetings and it was anything but that. It was like, we're here for you. We're here for your mental health. Now, that's all great. It's good. That's good stuff. Do not get me wrong that that is important stuff. But we also felt like there's also got to be a line. Like, now that you're in the building, this is the expectation. 
And that, that line is really, really faded now. So then you have kids that are wearing this and wearing that. Well, they didn't know. They didn't, you didn't tell them. They just said, oh, refer to the handbook. Okay, well, yeah. how many kids are going to read a 25-page handbook? The whole vibe is different. I feel like the deans or the climate culture office is more like an extended version of social workers. That's what I feel like it is. So it's almost like during the pandemic we had, because people weren't in the building and the pandemic was, was much worse that we were having these conversations about mental health and that was the primary focus. And now we're back in the building and that's still the focus, but we haven't quite come back to all the stuff just like logistics wise in the school that need to happen to follow the rules. Yeah, I mean, you know, things change to get there, but there's still like, there's still expectations and rules that got to be set and followed. So if you don't tell them, like, this is what you got to be doing, they don't know. So it's it's kind of like a backtrack thing, like, okay, well, you can't do that. Well, why can't I do that? So yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a fine balance because yeah, mental health is obviously on the forefront more so than it ever was. Right. But it's, it's I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I guess this whole, just trying to acclimate yourself to what it means and how you have to act being in a school building when you haven't done so in a year or whatever. Well, and then for me, like, I mean, Baker teaches upperclassmen, I teach sophomores. Yeah. So I had to remind myself, these sophomore kids have not been in high school yet. COVID shut them down midway through eighth and they weren't here freshman year. So now they're in a high school for the very first time as a sophomore. Yeah, which is bizarre. Like, yeah, you could have same thing for you, Marty. Like if you're teaching upperclassmen, you have people that are seniors now. But really, last time that they were here, they were, you know, in midway through their sophomore year. And so they're like, oh, I guess it's the same thing we were talking about before with like the workplace thing. It's like all of a sudden I'm not the rookie. All of a sudden I am the veteran, right? When did that happen? Today was a, a new official senior ditch day. So these guys are like so savvy with their digital connectedness that they just declared for themselves, oh, it's the day after Halloween. We're taking a senior ditch day. So there were a handful of seniors in the building today. You know, no, no other reason than they collectively decided to stay home. Organization is a lot easier now, I guess, <laughs> to yeah. organize that kind of thing. And it, so going back to like full circle, so like I have a student teacher this year. Yeah. And then this is a guy that his student teaching career is coming to, it's, it's last leg, okay? So he's learning from us in the building. And then in the spring, he's taking the role and then he graduates and he's ready to get a job. So when he first started here in September, I'm thinking like we had him and then his, his advisor teacher come down. And he, the advisor almost had to remind myself, like, look, yeah, he's in his last leg of getting ready to be done, but he's never been in a classroom yet. <laughs> what, what? Like you're in a student teaching program and you've never even seen kids. Like that's what it's about. Like that's what teaching is, it's about the kids. Yeah, I've actually, I've, I've heard that same thing from other people about like this year being weird and being like, yeah, no, it's, it's, this, it's not just the students. It's like new teachers who have, or even people that are in like their second year teaching now had a completely different experience and maybe are a little less prepared going into this year because they just haven't had the experience. Well, but then we had, a, we had a new teacher last year whose student taught on Zoom. So going into last year teaching, you know, he was already having already student taught on Zoom. Right. And now you have to go into the classroom. <laughs> you know, you kind of look at the, uh, I was looking at the glass full, right? I'm a, I'm a glass yeah. guy instead of a glass empty guy. Kids being savvy with technology, like for school purposes and teachers, like it's like skyrocketed. 
And does that, that helps you a lot I mean, on the like, day-to-day? For me, you know, we use Canvas. I don't know. Yeah. Listeners might have Google Classroom, Canvas, you know, the platforms to be online. I mean, all my stuff is housed there now because it's like, okay, look, well, you know, every, any day you don't know who's going to be in front of you, who's not. Are kids going to be quarantined or are they not? Are they going to be sick? Are they hospitalized? Maybe, maybe not. But they have to be able to access your classroom while not being in the classroom. So what's the, what's the assignment? What's the slide? How do you get that? So housing all of our stuff, like before it was like, go make copies, hand it out to kids. They do it. Now we still do that. We also got to access it online. So home can get it. There's at least some kind of a hub for all that information that hopefully that makes your life a little bit easier on a day-to-day basis. I think right now it's right now for me, like I think I use it more than anybody else because I'm one of the technology coaches in the building. Yeah. But I look at it right now as like, yeah, it's tedious and it's a lot of work, but it's all housed in that spot, like you said. So next year it's like, okay, drag, drop, boom. Like it's there, done. I don't have to recreate. Yeah. All right. Well, Eric, I know you have to jump out here in, in like 10 minutes or so. So I'll ask you this next question too, which is kind of along the same lines of the things that we've been talking about. So it, it might be the rules or it might be technology, but I am curious, is there just anything about education and teaching in 2021 that you wish more people were talking about when they talked about it when you see these you know articles about here's what it's like in schools during right now are you like i wish more people talked about this or this is more important than people might think uh yeah i mean it kind of falls on what i just talked about like yeah the absenteeism is more prevalent than it ever was the state just released data last week for last school year and said that 20 percent of kids in the entire state were chronically absent last year, so missed 10% or more of the school year. And I know that obviously that was disruptive for so many different reasons with remote learning and everything, but that's still a pretty staggering statistic. I would even say that's low. I mean, honestly, like, we used to say, we used to say this, and Baker can confirm this. I can be in a Zoom meeting last year, okay? Now, every kid's checked in, they're all on Zoom. How many kids are physically behind the camera working and participating? I mean, if I had 30 kids, I'd say 10. Tops, maybe maybe less seven. Yeah, because our even last last year our assistant principal one day who had to be in the building went to Chipotle for lunch and she saw a kid working that she knew was a student that was supposed to be in class. She said, are, are, "Aren't you supposed to be on your Zoom meeting?" And the kid said, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm in class." Pulled out their phone and showed that they were on Zoom on their phone, but you know they obviously weren't in class because. They, you know, their phone was muted and, and they weren't listening to the lesson. They were just logged in, but they weren't there. But they were, you know, they were getting the, the attendance credit for being there, but they weren't doing or learning anything. Right. And then the absentee thing is, is still an issue? Not, not like that. No. Not like that, yeah. But I mean, like, it's improving. I mean, I'm not going to speak for the kids, but just hearing what they talk about, like, they're like, I'm vaccinated, I'm this, I'm that. And so... I don't see as many of the quarantine things kind of coming through, but they are still there. Going back to your question, I mean, you know, one of the biggest struggles that people forget about that aren't in teaching is like when this school year started, I mean, it it took time to get kids acclimated to what school life is like. I mean, they're yeah. used to like sleep until 11 o'clock and then getting up and then, oh, I don't want to be here. Turn it off. Go back to bed. Like, okay, now we got to work. And now we're in the second quarter of the year. Now they're starting to figure it out. But especially for my class, their math skills have to be strong. And you're basing it on last year's grades, which that's all you have to go off of. Well, now, and I tell my kids this too, I'm like, now the rubber meets the road. Like, I'm going to find out 
if you were actually good at algebra and have those skills, but you just went through the hoops and got the grade because now I'm going to see if those grades are, if you're good at algebra and it's working and you, here we go, or you just turn stuff in and got a grade and now it says you got to be in algebra, but you really didn't learn anything. Right. Well, yeah, people, people had a lot of conversations last year about this idea of learning loss when you're going into this year, right. And you're using these grades that you got from last year. Do you feel like that's being borne out now that there was a lot lost last year? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't see how any, it's hard not, I mean, you have to, because that's all you got. Right. Yeah. But yeah, there, there is, to me, it, there is significant learning loss because with my kids, I mean, I remember seeing myself like part of my job is knowing if you understand material or not. Right. Do that without you saying a word. If I look at my classroom and I got blank stairs staying with me. Mm-hmm. And I know, do I slow down? Do I speed up? Where, where are you lost? Whereas if you're entirely Zoom, you got no idea. Like, are we good? Chat box is blank. No one's saying, okay, I'm, I'm moving on. Like, I'm just, this is the train and we're going as opposed to like the magic of teaching where, okay, you ain't got this. Let's pause for a second. Let's talk about this. And then those side conversations that you have about things other than your topic. Before you leave, Eric, we should end on, on somewhat of a lighter note. I feel like we've, it's been a little bit dour. Again, we have all these things that we can talk about, about how the pandemic impacted us and how it changed the way you know, education works. But for you, do you have any silver linings, anything that you feel like you've learned about yourself or about teaching anything over the last 18 months or so where you look back and you're like, okay, things are going well in this regard. I've, I've learned this throughout this entire experience that'll maybe make things better or make my job better over the next couple of years. Any silver linings that you can point to? Yeah, no, I mean... Uh... There's a lot of applications are utilized in there. And I'm sure you can name drop like Nearpod, Pear Deck, you know, Class Kick. And these things, you're like, I never heard of these things. But then you like, you try them now and dude, they're, they're great stuff. And you really find these things. You're like, oh, this, this is a cool thing to try out in, in class and it works well. And so then you're, use, you're utilizing technology to enhance the classroom. And it's great because it's like, instead of me walking around to every desk and looking at your paper, do you understand this? Do you understand this? I can put up an application. They can go on their Chromebooks. They can have it open and they can write on the screen. And then I can put it on the whiteboard where it's nameless. I hide the names. Now I see everybody's answers at once. And I can be like, okay, I like this. They did this good job here. Whoever this is, this is good. Whoever this is, okay, fix this, correct this. And you can see them all at once. The kids really pick up on that because they like using their phone books, right? They want to be on technology. And then when you're giving them feedback, like instantly, I mean, that's what they want. So then when it comes to like. Right. Instant feedback without having to raise your hand and put yourself out there in that way. Exactly. Oh yeah. And then I don't really have to, I mean, I enjoy walking around and checking the tables, but when they put it up here and then they learn off each other, like, Oh, well, what did, why did they do that? Why did that? When they wouldn't have that before, like they're not going to get up and walk over to their side of the class to go see what some other kid put. And then even the whiteboards, you know, we use whiteboards and they'll write them, but they'll see what the other kid's writing. Maybe not want to hold it up, but technology, you feel like you're one-on-one and you're putting it out there. And then I'm displaying it for everybody to see, which again, they're nameless. No one knows, but they're all learning from each other. And it's, that, that was, that was great. Okay. Well, I was just going to ask that, that same question to you, Marty, what, are some of the silver linings that you found? Is it for you technology too? The the things that you can look back on over the pandemic and say, well, at least we, we could take this with us. 
I actually like the, the Canvas learning tool that we're using. My kids in a different district have been using that for a lot longer than our U46 has. And the assignments are there, like Eric was saying, it's all archived, so you don't have to reinvent it year after year. And obviously, as you go through something and realize that um, maybe this isn't as applicable to today as it was yes, last year, you can, you can change and adjust things on there. But having the, the different Canvas applications and instant grading on Canvas and just the, the connectedness for the kids that um, are forced to stay home through quarantining uh, or the kids that we've always had a population that goes on vacation during the school year. So they don't have to lose time and be behind when they come back. These kids appreciated being in school a lot more when they returned. That is, that's the big takeaway. You could see their face when they return. Like, this is great. And the socialization, and now that they're settled in, it feels more normalized. But I mean, at least the first two weeks, like, they're like, this is so much better. Like, I can ask, there's a lot. Like, they, they appreciated education more. We used to know, be known for our big fights, and, and <laughs> we've barely had, I mean, we've had a couple, but not like we used to. Yeah. All right, Eric, do you have time for one more question? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay, the last thing is, again, this is a podcast where all the teachers we have on are nominated. And so I'm curious for you, did you have a teacher down along the line anywhere over the course of your education journey that inspired you or made you think that going into education was an option or made you want to be a teacher? Well, I mean, I wish my well, – when you record this, I'm going to play it back with my wife and I'm going to record this section because <laughs> she she's the one – that veered me towards education. So like, my dad's a retired physical therapist and I thought I wanted to go in medicine and I enjoy medicine. I, I, I like anatomy, I like physiology, like that's what I like. And it wasn't until I met my wife, probably junior year of college that she's like, I wanna be a teacher and that's my drive and that's what I wanna do. And she knew that and I, I was kind of wishy-washy and she's like, why don't you look about trying to be a teacher and like, why don't you look into this and do this and do this? And she kind of veered me towards that now she does elementary middle. So she kind of opened my eyes to like, this is what education is. This is how this works. This is how this works. And that's what got me into it. Now, I mean, she had a hidden agenda, right? Like, I want to be with this guy. I want to start a family. I want to have summers off with this guy. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a great strategy. Her. But I mean, I was to tell you, because I mean, I tell my students all the time, if you're in a classroom, you can see right away the teachers that enjoy what they do and the teachers that don't. I would hope that you would see from myself and Baker, like we enjoy coming to work. And, and I, I mean, there's ups and downs, but overall, like I enjoy my job. Like I have a great time. I like the kids, I like the staff, I have a fun time. And I mean, there's teachers or in any profession, they come in and they're just like, you can see like, I, why am I here? I hate this, but that's not my, like, I enjoy being here. I, I, I love, I love it. We can shout out your wife for that one. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Stephanie Peterson, if you're listening. <laughs> I hope she is. <laughs> there you go. She will be when this podcast. Yeah, I'm gonna be like, listen to this part. This is great. <laughs> just it's just a three minute podcast. I don't know. It's yeah, pretty short. Right, yeah. Cut, yeah, cut it right here. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ben. Well, you gotta head out then. Yeah, I got I got a uh, district technology meeting, but I appreciate your time. All right. Well, again, thanks so much, man. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Marty. Do you have a couple more minutes? I, I could if if you got a couple simple questions. Otherwise, I have to go replace a window. <laughs> Okay, well, there you go. Well, I'll just pose the same question to you again. You've been an 
education a bit longer than Eric, but was there a teacher that you had somewhere down the line, or why is it that you decided that education was an avenue for you? What made you want to go into education in the first place? So my mom was an elementary school teacher. I didn't even realize this, but my grandfather was a vocational school teacher. He taught machine shop in Chicago somewhere. So it was kind of in my family already. And I had worked as a lifeguard at the, at the park district for seven years. And I taught swim lessons as part of that. And I was thinking like, I know I'm doing this biology major in college, but what am I gonna do with this? And I realized that I was pretty good at teaching little kids how to swim. Maybe I should look at teaching kids biology and, and knowing that my, you know, my mom was a teacher, you know, it, it helped a lot. So the science part you had down already, you knew that, yeah, but the education I I part. Gonna, I loved biology because my, my freshman biology teacher and my, my senior AP biology teacher here at Streaming High School were, were top notch, Bob Keck and um, Rick Lapatina. You got to come back and teach at your own alma mater. Yep. And so how, I mean, how has that experience been? It's pretty nice. I mean, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with the building than more than anyone else that's in here right now because I was class of 91 from Streamwood. There are a bunch of other teachers that are, that are back as well. Some of my students are teaching here. A couple of my classmates are teaching here. So it's, I mean, it, it's, it's really comfortable, really familiar. And it also makes me more invested in the education having you know, been part of this school for so long. There you go. Could have been, it could have just went for being a lifeguard, but we decided to go biology teacher and here we are. I'm glad we did. Yeah, me, me working at Baywatch, that'd be awesome. There you go. You'd love it. Well, I know you've got a window to change now, so I won't keep you up any longer. <laughs> and I appreciate you taking 45 minutes with Eric and, and coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get great guests like Marty and Eric. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. Wherever you're hearing this, subscribe, leave us a rating, share whatever you can do. And also please subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date with everything happening with the show. And you can find a link to do that on this episode's webpage over at WNIJ.org. Big thank you to the Illinois band Kind Ups for the awesome music you hear every single episode. A shout out to Spencer Tripp for our Teacher's Lounge logo. And I have been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge on Christmas Eve. We'll see you then.